This is the latest sermon from Redeemer Community Church. We're so glad that you're here. It is good to be together this morning. For those of you who I may not have had the pleasure to meet, my name is Brian Kane. I'm the middle and high school pastor here at Redeemer Community Church. Uh, one thing that, if you're new here, one thing that I hope you've uh, received already is just that this church loves the Word of God. Everything we do, the way we think, we want it to all be shaped by God's Word and who Christ is and who He's revealed Himself to be to us in His Word. Um, so I hope you've received that, and I hope as we continue on through the service today that, uh, that you continue to see that, um, because God's Word is to be treasured, because it shows us the beauty of Jesus Christ. So I hope we see that this morning. Uh, we are going to pick up today, uh, right where we left off last Sunday, which was what, of course? Easter, right? So we are going to pick up on the same day in the story of Luke as uh, where we left off last week. Uh, So we're going to be in Luke 24, and we're going to read the road to Emmaus, which is starting in verse 13. But before we jump into that, uh, I want to read a little bit from Luke 24, 9 through 11 to kind of give us some context as to what's happening. Um, Because we were those last Sunday who said, he is risen, and we responded with what? He's risen indeed, right, yes, absolutely. But we're going to see that the story kind of takes a turn that we didn't expect it to take. Uh, And we're going to see Jesus come in and do what Jesus does, and that is be gracious and kind and gentle and loving. Uh, So let's look at Luke 24, verses 9 through 11. Verses 24, 9 through 11, before we read our main text today. And returning from the tomb, that being the women who went to the tomb to see Jesus, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Right? So to the disciples and to all the apostles who knew Jesus, walked with Jesus, uh, heard Jesus teach. Verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostle. Listen to verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. These words of resurrection appeared to the disciples and the apostles, those who knew Jesus, an idle tale. That word for idle in the Greek, I-D-L-E, that word for idle in the Greek is the word leros. And that word can also be translated trash. They accounted the woman's testimony as trash. This is the disciples, right? We love the disciples. Disciples are wonderful, right? We're no different. We're different from them, right? We can't find ourselves in their story. We are going to find ourselves in their story today as we walk with two of those disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, These disciples, these apostles, are mixed bags at best, right? They bring baggage to the table. They love Jesus, but there's a part of them, there's deep, deep unbelief. But we're going to see Jesus do something spectacular. As Jesus draws near to them and to you, specifically for the reasons you think he would stay away. Let me say that again. Jesus draws near to you specifically for the reasons you think he would want to stay away. 
I know that, that me, even on my best day, man, I want to be around people who are like me. I want to be around people who get it. I want to be around people with similar interests and hobbies. That's me at my best day. We're going to see Jesus draw near to those who don't get it, who reject him, who, who have seen him teach, seen him walk, seen him work, and yet don't believe that he is risen indeed. And I want us to be thinking about where we fit into this story. Where are we in this story? And what does Jesus say to us today? So let's go ahead and read Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. It's kind of a long text, so just bear with me, but this is one of the, one of the most spectacular stories in all of the Gospel of Luke. Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Now that very day, Sunday, Easter, Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be crucified and condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, and now the third day since these things happened, moreover, some women of our company amazed us, right? So they're like trash talking the, the ladies who saw the resurrection, right? Moreover, to make matters worse, some women of our company amazed us. And they were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he were going further. Right? So Jesus is playing hard to get here. Right? Verse 29, But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So Jesus went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, now saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. 
Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Man. In the year 1980, one of the most magnificent things ever happened. And I'm not talking about the invention of the post-it note. No, I'm not talking about the miracle on ice. I love hockey, but it wasn't when the U.S. beat the Soviets. No, what I'm talking about is the second installment of the Star Wars trilogy. 1980, The Empire Strikes Back was born. And in it, there was one of the biggest reveals in the cinematic universe, right? And I'm not talking about Luke and his father, Darth Vader, where Vader says, no, I am your father. I'm talking about another reveal, something else, something that maybe went a little more unnoticed. Ben Kenobi, the wise master of young Luke Skywalker, told Luke to go to this planet called Dagobah to find this grand warrior in his kingdom, right? So Luke gets in his X-wing, flies to Dagobah, lands, And what he finds is a swampless, deserted planet and a two-foot-tall something, right? We still don't know what he is. He said, Ben Kenobi said to Luke, there you'll find Master Yoda, the mighty warrior. But Luke didn't find a mighty warrior. Luke found a two-foot-tall, pesky thing. Now, what Luke didn't know is that Yoda was exactly what Luke needed to accomplish his mission, to save the galaxy. But, but Luke was disappointed. His expectations weren't met. Yoda was unexpected. Luke was disappointed. This is precisely the problem we see in our text today. Unmet expectation. That very day, verse 13, two of them went home. Right? They headed home to Emmaus, disappointed. They headed home to Emmaus, frustrated. Expectations not met, because why? Verse 21, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that this Jesus who we walked with, who we saw, would be the one to rescue us, right? to restore Israel to its glory, to come with an iron fist and destroy Israel our enemies. They were disappointed. There's two problems with that. Their expectation of what redemption looked like, right, the ends, the the end goal, and how that was accomplished. So in our first point, uh, which you'll find in in your worship guide, if you flip past the songs, uh, you'll see that there's an outline for you. Hopefully that'll help to, to kind of follow along a little bit. Um, We'll see uh, in our first point what their expectation was, right? And how Jesus gives us a true and better expectation here. So an expectation of what redemption looked like, the ends and the means. Let's focus on on the ends to start. So we're going to flip back to to Luke 19 here. We're going to be flipping back and forth because part of My point this morning is I want us to become immersed in the story of the Bible, right? I want us to become familiar with the text. And the best way to understand a text of Scripture is to let Scripture interpret Scripture, 
So for us to see what they meant by redemption, that's probably talked about earlier on. So we're going to see just that in Luke 19. Now, this is a story that uh, if you were here over the summer, last summer, um, one of our former elders, uh, J.T. Thomas, preached a sermon on Jesus and Zacchaeus. If you can find that sermon, man, watch it, listen to it. It is excellent. It is excellent. But we're going to see what ends, what the ends looks like, starting in verse 9. So Luke 19, 9. And Jesus said to him, him being Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Let's stop there. Right? In our call to worship this morning, you heard Galatians 3, right? that all those who are in Christ are children of Abraham, sons and daughters of Abraham, as if they came from Abraham. Jesus is making a bold statement here. A tax collector? One who abused and took advantage of people? one who's on the outskirts, he's invited in. Salvation has come to his house. And not only that, but he's a son of Abraham. Verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Right, two beautiful verses. But let's read verse 11. As they heard these things, they being the disciples, He proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear when? Immediately, right away, right? Our king is here. He's going to bring his kingdom. It's going to be mighty. It's going to be amazing, right? We're going to have wealth unimaginable, right? We will be deemed to the right and left hand of this king, right? Because we're the ones who were with him. They supposed that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Jesus elsewhere, Luke 13, tells us what the kingdom of God is like, what redemption looks like. Luke 13, let's just read 18 and 19 together here. He said, therefore, Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made its nest in its branches. So Jesus is comparing what his redemption would look like, what his kingdom would look like, to the smallest seed known to man. Insignificant, right? Seemingly small. In Luke 17, Jesus says that the kingdom is going to come not in ways that can be observed, right? So that no one can say, oh, look, there it is in all its glory. Or behold, here it is. But it's here. It's in my ministry. It's in me sitting with those who are on the outskirts. It's me healing those who are cast out. This is the kingdom that I'm bringing. And the disciples in our Luke 24 text wanted no part of that kingdom. They wanted something mighty and powerful, right? Mustard seeds aren't a sight to behold until you give it time and it grows, provides shade. They wanted rescue now. They wanted kingdom now. And if we know the story, we know that's nothing new, right? Think back to David and Saul, right? King Saul, mighty in stature, 
the people of Israel said, we want a king like the nations because for us to compete with the nations, we need a king that looks like the nations. And what does Jesus say? Or what does God say? He says, no, no, no. My anointed will be a 9, 10, 11-year-old shepherd boy. One who you look at and there's nothing to behold. There's nothing special about him. The disciples wanted no part of this kingdom. So that's the ends, right? That's what the kingdom will look like. What about how that's accomplished, right? What about how Jesus will bring about that kingdom? If the ends was stunning, the means is even more stunning. Victory through suffering. Life through death. The last being first. Jesus knew his people wouldn't get it. Brothers and sisters, Jesus knows that we don't get it. This is why before he went into the city, before he was crucified, he looked over the city of Jerusalem and he wept. He said, if only my people knew, if only my people knew what I was bringing, if only my people knew the power and might that comes in being weak and needy. These two men, along with many of the disciples as we saw, and with us, believed that true rescue would come outside of them for their sake, right? Jesus was going to establish something outside of them for their sake, when in reality, it happens inside of us for the sake of others. I'm going to read that again. True rescue would come outside. That's what they believed. Jesus is going to do something out there for my sake, for my good, for my well-being, for my safety, when in reality, Christ desires to do something in us for those on the outside. Right? Call to worship. Galatians 3. Abraham was called to be a blessing to the nations. If we are children of Abraham, we are called to be a blessing to those in the outskirts. A blessing to those who are unincluded. And we see in verse 17 that this disappointment stopped them in their tracks. Did it not? Let's look at verse 17 again in Luke 24. And Jesus said to them, what is the conversation you were holding with each other as you, as you walk? And they stood still, stopped in their tracks, looking sad. This is what unmet expectations do. Do they not? They cripple us. I have an expectation that my Kids will behave a certain way in a certain setting, and when they don't, I'm frustrated. I have an expectation that my wife will do something for me. If she doesn't, frustrated, crippled by it. But this is about me, right? And not only that, but then we put that on, on God. If God truly loved me, then I wouldn't struggle with X, Y, or Z. Or if God truly loved me, then he wouldn't allow me to enter into this difficult situation. Or if he really cared, he would make this relationship work. I want us to look at one thing that is astounding in this Luke 24 passage, and that's in verse 16. This is, this is the goodness of God to us, brothers and sisters. Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. 
Now, I love reading different Bible translations, and I always recommend it. You know, there are some that, that aren't so good, but the more translations you read, the more you see how different words are being translated and how things are being communicated. Uh, and there's one translation, the NLT, the New Living Translation, uh, which is known as like a very readable translation. They get this verse 100% right. They say, the NLT says, but God kept their eyes from opening, but God kept them from recognizing Jesus. And we see this throughout the New Testament story of things coming, Jesus coming at the right time. Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come at the right time, God sent his son. We see in Romans 5.6, at the appointed time, at the right time, Christ came and died for the ungodly. God kept them from seeing Jesus for a moment so that he could reveal Jesus at the right time. Maybe today you're thinking, man, I don't, I don't see him right now. I don't feel him right now. I don't experience him right now. Doesn't feel like good news, but brothers and sisters, there's good news even in the silence. And, and l- let me tell you why here. Um, I think so much of the time we, we treat Jesus like, a, I like to call it magic eight ball Jesus, right? So we'll say, um, you know, am I gonna marry so-and-so? Ask me again later. No, no, yes, okay, great. Finally, Jesus is giving me what I, that's how we oftentimes think about Jesus. Magic, eight ball, Jesus. But let me tell you what Jesus is really like, what God is really doing in and through us. Um, The beautiful thing about uh, April is that we are going to walk out here today and it's going to be like 70 so degrees, right? Praise God for that. Um, But with that comes the blooming of trees. It comes um, the beautiful creation that we see around us. And the Bible gives us this wonderful illustration the whole way back in Genesis of a tree and of waiting and of God's faithfulness. And if we don't have the eyes to see it, we won't see it. So let's just briefly flip back. Uh, You don't have to flip there. I'll flip there. But if you'd like to, I'd love for you to. Genesis 21. Right? On a face reading, this doesn't really mean much. But man, there's so much depth to this. Genesis 21, uh, verse 33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Okay, Abraham's planting a a tree. Awesome. It's a monument of God's faithfulness. That's great, right? Okay, he... Abraham's one of the Old Testament faithful, so it's expected that he's going to build a monument, right? But the thing about the tamarisk tree is that the tamarisk tree grows one inch every year. One inch every year. For it to get to its full bloom, it takes 400 years for the tamarisk tree to reach its full bloom. So Abraham wasn't building this for him. Abraham wasn't even building this for his children, Abraham wasn't building this for his children's children's children. Abraham trusted that God would be faithful. Abraham trusted that God would remain faithful. So this was a sign. This was a declaration of that faithfulness. 
right? Jesus is not a chia pet Jesus. One that we grow quickly and then fades away. He's one that wants his people to wait. He's never been concerned about speed, right? The disciples say, man, we got ministry to do. We got places to go. And Jesus says, now I'm going to play with these kids here. I'm going to hang out here and play with these kids. Right? Jesus says, no, 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 don't, t- don't touch the leper because the leper is going to infect you. He says, no, I'm going to heal the leper. Right? Jesus is not concerned with power and might. Jesus is concerned with people. He's concerned with relationships. So I don't know what you're going through today. I would love to say the frustration you're feeling about your job, your relationship, your children, your school, I'd love to say, man, just sit and just wait and pray and and God will show up. But I know that that means God will fix your problem. I know that means God will make things right now, here and now, better. But what I can promise you is, man, maybe you're building a tamarisk tree right now. Maybe you're planting a tamarisk tree. And maybe you won't see the faithfulness of it. Maybe you won't see the fruitfulness of it. But this is who God calls us to be. pastor named Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he was a, a, an English 19th century pastor. Actually, my son Haddon is named after Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He struggled with anxiety and depression his entire life his entire ministry, right? The the face of English preaching. And then guess what? He died. He died. But God used him and used his ministry to shape generations and generations to come. So much so that I named my son after him, right? Like that is tamarisk tree living. That is tamarisk tree living living. And man, that shapes how we view the here and now, right? That doesn't cause despair. That causes hope that God is doing something, that God is at work. So what do we do? We wait, we trust, we wrestle, we confess, we study, we we seek to know who this God is, how he works, what he does, who he is. And we do that because this is who Jesus is for us. This is our third point today. This is who Jesus is for us. We're just gonna briefly hit on four. Man, we could spend so much time on this. We're just gonna hit on four today. Back to Luke 24. This is who Christ is for us, brothers and sisters. Verse 15, verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near to them. Now, I wanna call a spade a spade here. They left because they didn't believe in the resurrection. What is the most important foundational truth about our faith? The resurrection, right? Paul says later on in his letters that if we don't believe the resurrection, or if the resurrection isn't true, this faith doesn't matter. Nothing we do matters here. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, everything is in vain. And Jesus joins them in the midst of their unbelief in the midst of their blasphemy. (laughs) He walks with them. He joins them. He also 
questions them, right? He says in verse 18 through 20, he asks them, what things are you talking about? Right? They were talking about their disappointment in who Christ was, and Christ has the boldness to say, what things are you talking about? Let me hear them. Let me hear your complaints. Let me hear your fears. Let me hear your disappointment. Let me hear your shame. Let me hear your guilt. I want to hear it. I want to walk with you. I want to know it. He joins. He questions. And then let's not fluff Jesus' hair here. He confronts. Right? He says, oh, foolish ones. You don't know the story. Right? Did you not know that the Christ had to suffer? Did you not know that I had to die? He confronts. And then my favorite, this is where the extra good news is, he feasts with them. He wants to keep going, and they say, no, 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 come into our home. Sit with us. And Jesus breaks bread with them. And what happens? They see. They see and they believe. And then Jesus vanishes. This is our Christ. Whatever you're in, he joins you. He knows. And that's not like, like he knows. He's been rejected. Praised as he walked into the village. And a couple of days later, people yelling for a robber and a rapist and a murderer to be released, said of him. Right? He knows. Give us Barabbas, they shouted, when days before they had said, this is our king, Hosanna in the highest. He joins. He questions patiently, kindly. He confronts boldly, and he feasts with us. This is our Christ. So my final question is, do we know the story? Right, right. Does this, like the disciples, hearing God's word, does it create a burning in our hearts? Man, I want to know this king. I want to know this savior. I want to walk with him. I want him to walk with me. I want to give him my shame. I want to give him my guilt. I want to be a part of the kingdom that he's building, not a part of the kingdom that I want to build. Do we know his story? For these followers, the story ended for them before Jesus interceded for them. The story ended after verse 20, right? They said that he was crucified, but he was not risen from the dead. So how much are we missing because we're not acquainted with the story? Whenever my wife and I moved to um, North Carolina in 2017, this was our, our first ministry gig. Um, I was, you know, I was insecure. I was confused. I'm like, I don't know. These kids even like me. Like, am I even doing, like, does what I do matter? Um, so we thought the best thing to do was to get a dog, <laughs> right? Like a month in, find out my wife's pregnant with our first child. So why not get a dog? And uh, this dog, man, I, I got to tell you, he, uh, he doesn't go to the bathroom in the house. He loves kids. He's so fun. But the one thing about him is that at the sound of any door opening, he's gone. Like, he's gone. So, of course, like, I'm worried my wife's at home pregnant. I'm worried that he's going to get out and that she's going to be, you know, chasing him down the street. That actually happened. She's chasing him down the street. Uh, like, seven months pregnant. Um, but, but when we got Carl, his name's Carl, too. When we got Carl, Carl had heartworms, 
Carl had been roaming the streets of Asheville and just these guys found, these people found him, um, took him to a shelter. We went to the shelter, found out he had heartworms, uh, adopted him, brought him into our home, let him sleep in our bed, let him sit on our couch, let him play in our yard. And all this dog wanted to do was return back to the streets that he once roamed. Right? Carl forgot his rescue story. How many of us, every single day, the moment we can do what we want, forget our rescue story? The moment we want to build the kingdoms we want to build, forget our rescue story. I'm going to assume there are a lot of Carls in this room. And hey, that's okay. That's okay. You know why? Because we have a God who draws near. We have a God who is faithful. You know what he does? He gets in his car, drives, finds Carl, finds you, eating out of the trash, picks you up, puts you in the car, and he brings you home. This is your God. Do you believe that? Do you know his story? I want to finish with, with a quote, um, and uh, this is a quote by C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, by my favorite book by him called The Weight of Glory, and some of you may have heard this quote before, um, but I'm going to change it up a little bit. Dare I change anything that C.S. Lewis says, but it begins, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires, and I'm going to change that to expectations. It would appear that, it would seem that our Lord finds our expectations not too strong, not too high, but too weak. Your expectation of a great kingdom is weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased, brothers and sisters. I'm going to pray in just a second. Um, but what we're about to partake in now is something that is simple, is something the world looks at and says, why are you doing this? But for us, Man, this is the pinnacle of our faith. This is why at Redeemer we do communion every single Sunday. Every single Sunday. Not only to be reminded of what Christ has done, but to partake in the story. Right? Christ says to his disciples, and he says to us, the next time I do this, I will do this with you in the kingdom. This is our king. This is who he is. Let's pray. Jesus, we are far too easily pleased. The little trinkets and toys of the world that we think can satisfy us do but for a moment, and then we're on to the next thing. Help us to know there is a home, there's a place for us in the arms of Jesus who draws near who endures with us, 
who listens to us, who has the boldness to question us, who confronts us, and who finishes by feasting with his wayward people. Father, today we proclaim that we are weak and needy. Be for us all we need. Pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.